Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. There are a lot of things that influence developing an addiction, and none of them are that we're weak-willed losers. In the Sober Powered Podcast, you'll learn how and why addiction develops, how alcohol changes the brain to keep us drinking, and most importantly, that you're not alone. The things you experience are experienced by many of us.
Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about why we drink. So our motivation for drinking matters. And a recent study found that why we drink coincides with the development of alcohol use disorder. I'll cover the main reasons why people drink to cope with mental health and negative emotions, to unwind after work and deal with stress, to socialize, and to cope with stress from parenting. I have some interesting studies to share with you about why people drink and one study at the end of the episode about why moms drink. So let's dig in. For many of us, our journey to sobriety starts by questioning our drinking. Are we drinking too much? Is it making us unhappy? And then we begin to rationalize that what we're doing is not that bad by comparing our drinking to society's idea of an alcoholic. If you're questioning your drinking, though, then that is a sign that drinking is causing problems in your life. It's just that simple. You wouldn't question it otherwise. And if you're questioning it, then it means your life would be better without it. If you're stuck in this place, then know that your reason for drinking matters. Problem drinkers drink to avoid negative emotions and to cope with mental health or stress. Social drinkers drink to socialize. That's why they're called social drinkers. So ask yourself, why are you actually drinking? Is it to socialize? Maybe you've never even learned that drinking was for socializing. Maybe you only learned that drinking helped relieve negative emotions. So later on in my drinking, I believed that drinking was the only thing that made me happy. I thought my whole life sucked and alcohol was the only good thing that I had. I've always struggled with depression and an interesting study from 2017 in rodents found that alcohol can partially reverse brain chemistry issues that lead to depression in animals with neurochemical imbalances, but not in animals that don't have brain chemistry imbalances. So this means that the rewarding effects of alcohol are enhanced for people with chemical depression, making us more likely to develop an addiction because we are more likely to drink to cope. So alcohol might actually be fixing your problem of depression. So what this study found is that in low doses, alcohol may have some antidepressant effects. However, drinking regularly causes us to build up a tolerance, so then we need more alcohol to achieve the same effect. The problem, though, is this relationship goes away in higher doses of alcohol. In chronic high doses, alcohol makes depression and anxiety worse, so then we keep needing to drink to try to manage something that drinking is causing. So I discussed why alcohol causes depression fully in episode 63. One of the most common reasons that anyone drinks is to relieve stress. So we're shown in most movies and TV shows that drinking helps you unwind and relax. And when I started drinking, it was because everybody else did and I wanted to fit in. But very quickly, I learned from my peers that you drank when you had stress and it made the stress go away. Even if it was in the afternoon, it was all acceptable. So then I started to drink for stress relief. And that's when my problem really started taking hold. So think back to your own drinking. Were your motivations for drinking ever just to socialize and have fun? I think in the very beginning, like the first month or two, my motivation was to socialize and go out with people. But then drinking started solving a problem for me. And when it's solving a problem for you, you cross over into alcohol use disorder and being on the spectrum. 
A 2021 study by Armelli and colleagues published in Addictive Behaviors looked at drinking to cope motivation and interpersonal stress. So they found that drinking to cope creates a feedback loop where interpersonal stress is the trigger for drinking to cope, but also the outcome of drinking to cope. So we drink to cope with our relationships with other people or their behavior, also known as drinking at people, and then this causes even more problems in our relationships, making us feel triggered to drink again. So it's a big messy cycle. And one very interesting study from 2016 found that avoidance coping strategies like drinking to cope result in a negative bias, which can cause us to interpret neutral or unclear remarks from other people as insults. So this information is super satisfying to me because I was extremely dramatic while I was drinking. Everybody was out to get me and I took offense to the tiniest things. And because of that, I drank at people all the time. Other studies have hypothesized that alcohol affects the brain in a way that makes provocation cues more noticeable in our mind. So we're more likely to act on them and start a problem with another person. So said another way, drinking to cope makes us focus more on these problems, making them even bigger in our minds. If you're interested in how the mind forms a bias, I discuss this in episode 79, Why We Romanticize Alcohol. A 2021 study by Mueller and colleagues looked at self-reported reasons for drinking. People with alcohol use disorder report stress coping, craving for alcohol, and reduction of anxiety or depression. Non-addicted controls reported drinking to facilitate social interaction which makes sense because that's the cultural norm. So historically, alcohol is a cultural drug that is consumed at social events. And this study found that the development of alcohol use disorder coincides with a shift in your reason for drinking. When we move from drinking to socialize to drinking to cope or experiencing cravings, it means we have developed a problem. So alcohol does actually help with stress, which is why we believe that it does. We're not making anything up or playing tricks on ourselves. It actually does help, and that's because it slows down our brain and makes us care less. So by caring less, you're less stressed. So it brings down feelings of overwhelm or being out of control. But just like with depression, as you drink to cope with stress, you develop a tolerance, which means you now have to drink more to manage your stress. And then you're causing stress in your life from your drinking that you then have to drink to cope with. So the healthy control group from this 2021 study reported using alcohol to facilitate social interaction, and this motivation for drinking was much less reported in the alcohol use disorder group. So this goal is only achievable in low doses of alcohol because at high doses, you start to embarrass yourself, black out, fight with other people, and get overly emotional. And for people with alcohol use disorder, low doses of alcohol usually stop being something we're able to do or something that we consider worth doing. So think about it. Is one drink satisfying for you? Does that feel worth it or does that just ignite a craving for more drinks? For social drinkers, one drink is worth it for them. They can have one drink and go move on with their lives and they're fine. Problem drinkers will also drink to manage triggers. So if you're sober or you've tried to be sober, have you been faced with a really powerful trigger yet? 
I'm not talking about like the cue of needing a drink after work to unwind. I'm talking about something horribly stressful or upsetting that usually catches you off guard. So as I'm preparing for this episode, I just got hit with one of those. I had my first major trigger in sobriety over the summer, which I talked about in episode 55, how to power through when you want to give up. Both times, this past summer and this week's trigger, my first thought was, I need to get drunk. And this is the exact relationship switch that I'm talking about. The drinking that I want to do is not going to the bar with my husband and having fun or socializing with coworkers. I want to go buy some nips, hide in my car, secretly chug it, hate the world, and then try to resume a normal life, which would be impossible, obviously. So if you ever feel tempted to do that kind of drinking, then please know that that is a sign you are not someone who should be drinking. Once alcohol becomes something that you use to ease pain, cope with stress or mental health, or to relieve cravings, you can't go back to social drinking. And this is why it's better to just be sober for people like me. Some people have a drink and move on with their lives. Other people get drunk and then just keep doing it. So what can you do instead? Unfortunately, you just have to feel the horrible feelings. So as a sober person who's prone to blowing up my life, I don't have a choice there. I have to be present in my life and that's it. I can't temporarily take a break like a social drinker may be able to because I don't take breaks. My life revolves around drinking when I do it. It's all I think about. It's all I want to do. And social drinkers don't think about their drinking when they're not drinking. It's not something that they care about. So what I did for this trigger was I went out on a lot of rage walks and I listened to really loud, angry music. You have to get those feelings out of your body. Burying them doesn't make them go away. When we talk about motivations for drinking, we also need to recognize that women typically drink for negative reasons like coping and men, at least in the beginning, typically drink for positive reasons. So negative reinforcement is drinking to avoid things like stress or anxiety. Positive reinforcement is drinking for a positive outcome like to socialize or have fun. So because men and women drink for different reasons, there are a few things that are true for women with AUD that are not necessarily true for men with AUD. Women today have increased amounts of stress because we try to maintain a career and be mothers. So no offense to the guys, but mothers and fathers are different and they handle their roles differently too. It's just a fact. A 2021 study published in Addictive Behaviors looked at drinking to cope and the link between work-family conflict for mothers versus fathers. So work-family conflict would be like when you have work demands and family demands that are conflicting so that the energy and time you spend on work is needed with your family too and you're conflicted and not sure what to choose. So what this study found is that mothers drink to cope with this problem and fathers do not. They concluded that women need non-drinking alternatives to deal with stress because their go-to is drinking. So the findings in the study make sense to me because women have a lot of expectations as mothers that fathers don't. And moms feel like they have to do everything. So they put even more expectations on themselves and dads don't necessarily feel that way. I think fathers see what they can realistically do 
and they're okay with that. But moms feel a thousand pounds of pressure to be perfect and do everything for everyone. If a dad had to miss something because of work, it wouldn't really be a big deal unless it happened all the time. But if a mom had to miss something, it would be a huge deal, at least to her. So she would guilt herself and feel like the worst mother in the world where a father might just say like, yeah, I did have to miss it, but I'll be at the next one and move on. I live in the Boston area and daycare prices are ridiculous here. If you work in the city and you want to put your kids in daycare, it could be over like $3,000 a month. And because of this, women are forced to give up their careers. So women have different expectations on them than men do. And women drink for different motivations too. So mix work-family conflict with drinking for negative reinforcement and you get mommy wine culture. Mommy wine culture tells moms that they should drink to handle the stress of motherhood. There are so many memes, wine glasses, and celebrities and influencers telling moms that it's what they should be doing to deal with their kids. Dads do not get the same messaging, and that's because dads don't drink to cope with fatherhood. There's no such thing as daddy wine culture. Women are targeted because we already drink for negative reinforcement, so we're easy targets there. So we already drink to avoid negative feelings. So mix in with that the stress of parenting and worrying that you're letting everyone down. And it's very easy to convince women that they should drink to deal with motherhood. It just makes sense. So the reason why you drink says a lot about your drinking. I convinced myself that I was drinking to have fun, but was I actually having fun? Was I having fun and socializing when I drank alone in my living room? So try to be honest with yourself and see the truth in your motivation for drinking and know that social drinkers drink to socialize. They can have one drink and move on with their lives and they don't think about their drinking when they're not drinking. So if that's not you, then you need to really look at your relationship with alcohol. So what's a non-drinking alternative to deal with stress when alcohol feels like the best solution? So like literally anything else. Even if you're just sitting there being miserable, hating the world, it's still better than drinking because eventually that feeling is going to pass and then you'll move on. But when you drink, you can't move on from anything. You push the pause button on your feelings for a little bit, but then they come back even worse. So what I do when I'm triggered is I run through a list of possibilities in my head. Alcohol's always the first one that comes up, followed by binge eating. So I remind myself I can't do those things, and then I continue on with the list. So most of the ideas will sound dumb and like a waste of time, but eventually one might sound like it's something you're at least willing to try. So do that, and it's going to suck in the beginning but it will help. Alcohol is instant gratification. It instantly fixes whatever feeling or problem you're having for the moment. And nothing that's healthy for you is going to instantly fix your problem. That's why we don't want to do the things that are good for us and we're so tempted to drink because it fixes the problem right now. So we can't run from our problems and even though drinking allows you to numb out, things are always going to come back worse. If you're in a place where you're using alcohol to get through life, then you can never undo that mental conditioning and drink socially. Alcohol becomes the solution to our problems, but realize that nothing in your life has ever been solved, improved, or made easier by your drinking. 
So I encourage you to spend some time thinking about your motivation for drinking and what that says about your pursuit of moderation or considering whether or not you should go back to drinking after a set number of days or whatever else you're thinking. And I will talk to you next week. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.